I'm Marianne Kolbesak McGee, Executive Editor of Information Security Media Group. I'm here at HIMSS 16 speaking with Devin McGraw, the Department of Health and Human Services Office for Civil Rights, Deputy Director of Health Information Privacy. Devin will be speaking to us about some of the HIPAA enforcement activities underway for 2016, including the status of the HIPAA Compliance Audit Program. Hi, Devin. Hi, Marianne. So now, Devin, what can you tell us about the status of the next phase of the HIPAA Compliance Audit Program, which OCR has said it will launch in 2016, and what's the timeline like? So we have launched phase two of our audit program. Um, It's in the very early stages. We are in the process of verifying addresses that we have for covered entities and and some business associates for whom we already have some information about them. We are going to be doing that um, through the next several months. Um, We also will be asking covered entities to identify their business associates in order to create a larger pool of business associates from whom to select auditees. And so once we have pools of both covered entities and business associates, um, we can begin to select those who we want to audit. So there's, there's, first there's an address verification process, then there's a process of getting a little bit more information about who those entities are so that we can try to have as diverse an audit pool as possible and also make sure that when we choose entities to audit, we're not getting, you know, all the same entities, right? We want, we want some variation in terms of uh, size, geographic location, um, what it is that they do, etc. And so, the, you know, there's a process by which we need to sort of gather that information from entities first um, so that we can create the pools from which to audit. So that those are the sort of pre-audit phase um, for which we've begun to do the address verification. I think entities are going to start seeing more over the next couple of months as we roll that out. How many covered entities and business associates do you think you'll be auditing and are they mostly desk audits? They're mostly going to be desk audits somewhere in the neighborhood of 200, maybe 200 and maybe a little bit more of the desk audits. And then um, a much smaller portion between 10 and 25 for full-scale audits. Um, we're still sort of working out the numbers on that, but, it's, um, but that's about where we're, where we're heading. And do you know how that will split between CEs and BAs if you're doing 200? Yeah, I don't know that yet. And how about an updated audit protocol? When will we see that? My guess is that you will see that probably April. We're on track to get that out for um, people to see and give us some comments on in April. If we can do it sooner, we will, but I'd say April is probably a better guess. So will you wait to get comments back on the protocol and then revise that before the actual audits begin, or what sort of timeline yeah, is no, that? No, absolutely. Well, we're not going to begin audits until the protocol has been released and finalized. Um, but again, we have a lot of work that we can do in advance of the actual audits, and that's the work that um, has already begun. And that's, you know, again, address verification and then questionnaires to um, ascertain, you know, who these entities are so that we can create audit pools from which to draw from. And will the audit protocol be a revision for CEs or will you be sticking with the original audit protocol for CEs and then developing one for the BAs? Well, we have to um, do some revisions to the audit protocol from the first phase because the omnibus rule occurred in the interim. We are planning to revise the entire protocol, even though for the desk audits, we're only going to be auditing 
for selected provisions of the rules, and we will announce what those are sort of closer to the time where the audits will begin. But we do have to make those revisions to update it, and certainly for the entities that are getting, that might be subject to a more full-scale on-site audit, they're going to want to know what the protocol looks like overall. Now, OCR has been issuing a lot of guidance lately, including the guidance for mobile health apps and most recently guidance about patient rights of access to their health information. What's next in terms of other plan guidance? So we're going to be continuing to add to the frequently asked questions on individual right of access because I think that once you put out guidance like that, you inevitably generate more questions um, from folks and we you know have already started to get some additional questions about use of APIs for example by patients where they are requesting information or they or there's an app that wants to be able to enable a patient to get information through an API from a certified EHR techno- from certified EHR technology for example and we've got some things that we want that we'll hopefully be able to say that provide a little bit more clarity on on how the HIPAA rules apply in that context. We have cloud guidance in the works that we have been working on for quite some time. That's also a high priority for us to release. We get a, get lots and lots of questions on really a daily basis about HIPAA's application in a broad range of contexts. And we, we really do try to provide people with the answers when we can. You know, with a, with a small staff, there's, there's only so much that we're able to do in a given year, but those are some things to look out for in the in the near future. OCR recently introduced with NIST the crosswalk. Tell us a little bit about that and why you issued that. Yeah, the crosswalk is great. It was also a collaboration with the Office of the National Coordinator for Health IT. And we issued this because NIST's 2014 cybersecurity framework was really viewed as this enormously helpful tool for addressing cybersecurity risks, which are clearly on the increase. And while, you know, the security rule does not, HIPAA security rule does not necessarily require adherence to NIST protocols, there are many entities who have expressed a desire to do what NIST requires, either because they have federal clients for whom they want to be NIST compliant, or they just want to do their best to prevent um, cyber breaches. And, but, it, but they didn't necessarily have a tool that helped them see how the cybersecurity framework from NIST links up with the security rules. So if you, you know, deploy a certain set of NIST standards, what does that mean with respect to the HIPAA security rule? And so an idea was, like it came from my staff. It wasn't even my idea, which is great. Um, I get credit for all this stuff. It's really my staff who do all the work on this. They created this enormously helpful tool that, um, again, it has uh, an audience of folks who are very security-minded and who want to identify potential gaps in their programs, prioritize how they're investing in security resources, and it's just another tool for people to do that. Especially, you know, when you say why, there is much more attention on cybersecurity given the rise in hacking, and we really do hope that this tool provides entities with um, something that they can use to um, to um, take their security programs to the next level. Now, you mentioned hacking. There's some criticism of the HIPAA security rule often saying that, well, you know, it was written years ago and the threats have evolved in a way that no one really imagined they would and that the rule hasn't really kept up with that. What do you say about that? 
You know, is there any need for the rule to ever be revised, do you think? Or are there other guidance, perhaps, that can come out to sort of expand upon what OCR would expect entities to do to protect themselves against these emerging threats we're seeing? Well, I think, you know, the security rule was designed to be flexible and scalable. And, and in many cases, that's one of its strengths, right? It does not say do take the following steps to identity proof or credential, for example. It requires you to develop a process for identity proofing and credentialing. And so, and that makes it able to sort of keep up in some ways with where the threats are because you need to take your responsibilities and apply them in the context of the risks that you're facing, but also in the context of the resources that you have. You know, we, we the entities we regulate run the gamut from, you know, solo physician practices, you know, all the way up to large national healthcare plans. We can't have the same set of expectations um, for everyone within that spectrum um, because there are widely divergent resources as well as potentially widely different risks, even even in an environment where hacking is is much more prevalent. So I'm not going to say that the rule is, is necessarily out of date, but I will say that the way that people have been applying it is definitely out of date. If you do all of the addressable specifications and you just implement them, and you implement everything that's required, that's a very robust security framework. The issue, as you'll see from our enforcement actions, is that we find that people are not doing that. So I think it's hard to argue that the regulatory framework's out of date. I think there still are too many entities out there that are out of compliance. And speaking of hacks and breaches, we've seen a number of resolution agreements come out of OCR recently, and also one civil monetary penalty. What else will we be seeing this year, do you think? Um, More of them. (laughs) Uh, We have regional offices that have cases in the pipeline in various stages, you know, from beginning investigation to um, fairly well into the investigation to being at the very latter stages of them. And we move them as quickly as we are able to. We, as evidenced by the Lincare ALJ ruling, we are not afraid to take things to the next level if we need to. We'll do so in circumstances where we cannot agree upon a way to settle a case. We, we like to settle them when we can because that enables us also to put corrective action plans in place, which allow for some ongoing monitoring of the entity going forward. We don't have that tool in the case of civil monetary penalties. But certainly if we have a circumstance where the entity is not doesn't want to settle with genuine disagreement about whether they're out of compliance or not, we feel confident in the cases that we investigate and taking them to to the next phase. So uh, it wouldn't surprise me if there are more of those. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me. Obviously, there are things I know that you don't, but but we, we have a robust enforcement program that is always busy, and we use all of the tools at our disposal. Are we likely to see a resolution agreement or some sort of settlement with a business associate this year? Can't comment on open or ongoing investigations, but we certainly, our enforcement program does extend to business associates. Now, the Precision Medicine Initiative is a, an important initiative for the Obama administration. I know that ONC and OCR has been working with 
other members of HHS on this initiative. What is OCR doing right now related to this work? So we are very eager to see the comments that we get back from the public on the security principles because we helped draft them and we will be working on finalizing them after the public comment period is over. And we are also involved in a number of intra-agency task forces to sort of take the next step of defining more specifically what the different policies will be for PMI. Uh, in some respects, you're, we need to be setting these policies in, at the same time that some of the details about how this is actually going to get rolled out are also developing. You know, you, you can't make policy in a vacuum. I, oftentimes when I was in the private sector, entities would come to me and say, give me some policies. And I would say, well, I can't do that. You have to tell me what you're doing. And, you know, what does this initiative look like? What kind of data is being collected? How are we going to go out to people to donate their data? And so we have staff that are involved in discussions with the t- with teams from NIH and from other entities that are also building the, the details of what the cohort will look like, what the overall program will look like. So we make sure that we go from the stage of principles to actual sort of more detailed policies. And so that work will, will be ongoing throughout 2016. And what about rulemaking? Any rulemaking expected this year from OCR? I know the accounting of disclosures rule has been sort of on hold for a while. Yeah, so we we hope to do a couple of things this year. Um, I mean, obviously the regulatory timeline is ticking at the end of an administration, but we really would like to do a couple of things. One is to look at the updates to accounting for disclosure that we had proposed that are not tied to the high-tech provision. Um, but that were generally well-received um, and are improvements to the prior accounting of disclosure. Right, being able to move to finalize those in this year would be helpful and is something that we're working on. And then also an ANPRM, which is an advanced notice of proposal rulemaking, on the penalty sharing issues. So this is the high-tech provision that requires us to, to develop a methodology for sharing some portion of uh, settlements and civil monetary penalties um, with individuals who are harmed by non-compliance with the rules. And so there's so many questions that arise with respect to how you pull together something like that. There are not really very any analogs within federal government infrastructure that we can look at. We're, we've tried to see if there are states that have done something like that. It's, it's just it's very, very, very tricky. So we're going to start with an ANPRM that requests public comment on another a number of aspects of this so that we can move to the next phase. Are there any other programs or initiatives that OCR would like to try to finish or start this year before there is a new administration next year? I think the plate that I just described is pretty full. You know, we like to be able to be flexible to respond to needs that I might not even be aware of here, but that crop up and that, you know, it turns out that if we do guidance on the following set of questions, it will help some other health reform initiatives, for example. And I like being able to do that in addition to sort of clearing out some of the guidance and getting out stuff that we have been working on for quite some time. I'd like to see our developer portal be more robust. And in order for that to happen, we have to make sure that we're responding to the questions that people are putting up there in a timely way. That takes work. Uh, I don't have a very large staff. So so I think if we're able to get all of that done, it would be a pretty darn good year. Right. And just to clarify for our listeners, your position is not a political appointment, right. so you will or can perceivably be there 
through the next administration. Yes, yes. No, my, my job is a career federal government job. I have already started to ask my staff, who have been through a number of different directors, sort of what it's like to to do transition, and they've been enormously helpful. But um, given that it's only March, we still have many, many months left, um, and many months left with a very energetic set of people who are endeavoring to get done as much as they can um, for the benefit of the public, and that's a good thing. You know, we're, we are, we're prepared to be very active throughout the year, um, and then we'll just see what happens in, uh, in 2017. But I'll, I'll be here. <laughs> Great. And we went over a long list of things. Anything else that we should know about that you guys are working on, or did you cover everything? I think, Marianne, you put a very good list of questions together. Yeah, I, I think you've got it covered. Um, you'll be among the first to hear if we suddenly pivot and do something really new that I'm that I didn't share with you today. <laughs> Thanks, Devin. I've been talking to Devin McGraw of OCR. I'm Marianne Kolbesak-McGee of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for listening.